0: Welcome, Uh, my name is Jacob Stevenson, I'm the associate pastor here, and so uh, if you are new, uh, we are so glad that you decided to join us today. Our uh, lead pastor, Alex, is actually in Texas preaching at our sending church today. Uh, He's on a little partnership trip uh, trying to go make some money, Um, and so um, that is appropriate for what we are speaking about today as we will uh, get to in here in a little bit. So we're going to be wrapping up our series in Philippians, and we've titled this series Joy in All Things. All right, in this, uh, just recap, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And this church in Philippi, uh, he is thanking them for a gift that they have sent. And, and you can tell within this letter that it is heartfelt, that it is um, extremely, there's a deep connection and a deep gratitude from Paul towards the church at Philippi. Because they have sent a gift, and let's remember Paul's situation. Paul is currently imprisoned. He is on house arrest in Rome, and so this house arrest—it's not like he has a house with like a kitchen and a bathroom and a master bedroom and then a guest bedroom. Like no, it is basically a tiny um, New York-style studio apartment. Um, but in Roman times. And so, and he is chained to a Roman guard who is watching him day and night. There is a Roman guard that he is chained to um, 24 hours a day. And and he's actually having to pay rent on this little apartment that he's living in. He has to pay for his food. And so the Philippians sent him this gift, which likely is what kept him out of being in a um, common prison dungeon with other Uh, prisoners, right? And so he is able to have visitors. He's able to have people come see him. He's able to buy his own food because of gifts like the one, the financial gift that the Philippians sent him. And so Paul is writing this letter as a thank you. And he's also reminding them to be like Christ. He's reminding them to be unified and stay united in the gospel And throughout this entire letter, not only in the words that Paul writes, but in the way that he writes the words, there's an overwhelming sense of joy. That he is joyous even while he is in chains in prison in Rome. And so uh, we're going to get started with today's scripture in uh, Philippians chapter 4. So you can go ahead, turn there, scroll there, whatever you got to do. It'll also be up here behind me. Uh, But Paul is going to conclude this letter today. So chapter 4, verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul um, is grateful that they were able to send a gift, even though it had been a while, right? Because what we're going to see later is that the Philippian church actually had sent gifts to Paul before when he was in prison before, Right? That's a good relationship. And so uh, Paul is saying, I know it has been a while, but you have revived your concern for me. This word revived is kind of like a plant that begins to bloom again. So it had been a winter season, and their concern had begun to bloom. It had begun to take action again. And then in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. So I thank you so much for the gift, although I don't need it. <laughs> For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the kicker. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm, That's that famous verse, isn't it? Verse 13 is is a very well-known verse. This could be your first time in church today. And my guess is that you've probably heard that verse somewhere. Or maybe you've seen that verse somewhere. But I think this is a verse that is wildly misunderstood and wildly misconstrued. Because this verse isn't really a coffee mug type of verse. This verse isn't really a motivational verse that um, means and encourages you to defy all odds. Don't care about what they people told you. Don't, don't listen to your third grade teacher who told you you could never be an athlete. You go be an athlete and you write this verse on your shoes or on the brim of your baseball cap, and you go be a professional athlete. It's not what this verse means. But see, that's what happens when we take the verse out of context, right? But when we put it in context, when we look at the surrounding verses where Paul says, I have learned to abound, I have learned to be in need, I have learned to be in plenty, but all of those circumstances I can do because it is Christ's strength that lives within me. It's not my own. So this verse is actually about Paul not being assuade that his contentment is not dependent on his circumstances. His contentment comes from Christ's strength. So whether he is abounding, he is doing that in Christ. If he is hungry, he can be content because it is Christ's strength that makes him and pushes him forward through hunger and need or in plenty. It is Christ's strength that gives him contentment. And so, contentment is not found in circumstances. It wasn't for Paul, as we see here, and it's not for us, no matter how much the world may tell you that it is. This isn't just something that Paul says. Paul isn't just writing, hey, like be content in all things, right? Have joy, just, just be happy. But this is something that Paul lives, right? As we just talked about, he is in chains. He is in imprisoned right now and so he says thank you for the gift although I don't need the gift because I've learned to be content in all things with the strength of Christ within me and so what I want to do real quick is I want to look at a few circumstances a few situations that Paul had been in in his life where he remained content and I want us to think would I remain content in that circumstance I can tell you the answer but Let's just see. So Paul visited Lystra, it's the city, um, and he is stoned, right? And uh, this is Old Testament, um, old time he stoned. Um, and, and he is beaten so badly that um, they thought he was dead. and so the people who stoned him dragged him out of the city and left him because he was beaten so badly that he looked dead. So they left him, and he wasn't dead. The disciples gather around him, and they're like, hey, what's going on? And then Paul kind of wakes up and kind of brushes himself off, and he's like, "Woo!" And what does Paul do? Walks back into the city. <laughs> and it tells us that he leaves for a little bit, but not too long after that, he comes back to that city, and he begins to preach the gospel again. And he begins to encourage the saints in Lystra, saying, hey, look, this is what they did to me when I'm still preaching the gospel, because Jesus is good. And I'm still alive. And if I'm alive, that means that every breath that I have is going to honor and praise King Jesus. A little bit later on, Paul actually is in Philippi, right? We know that while he writes this letter to the Philippians, he's in Rome, but there was a, uh, this moment where he met the Philippian church, and the Philippian church hadn't really started yet. He's in Philippi. He meets a lady named Lydia. Lydia is a cloth merchant, if you will, so she's got some money, and she opens up her home to uh, the apostles, to Paul, to stay at her home uh, while they are there, so she is providing for them, uh, and she is probably part of this Philippian church that Paul is writing this letter to. Right, we've talked about her throughout this series. Um, and then Paul ends up going into the town of Philippi. And he sees this young girl who is demon-possessed. And so he uh, casts this demon out of this little girl. Well, people didn't like that, and so they threw him in prison after beating him with rods, okay? So this time it wasn't rocks, it was rods. They beat him, they threw him in prison, and he's sitting there in this prison cell, and it tells us that about midnight, Paul began to sing songs and praises to the Lord. Now imagine, would you be singing songs and praises while you're sitting in a prison cell after casting a demon out of a young girl? Or would you think, this isn't fair, God? Why am I here? But Paul was content. He had joy. So he sang praises to the Lord. And at that moment, there's this earthquake. So the whole prison shakes. The gates of the prison doors fly open. The shackles fall off of all of the prisoners. And the doors open. You're like, all right, Paul, get out of there. Paul doesn't. Um, The Roman guard who was taking a nap at the time, real Barney Fife style, uh, he taking nap he wakes up he sees the prison doors are open he's like oh no they all just left I'm just going to kill myself because I don't want to be chewed out by my boss and so he's about to fall on his sword and Paul tells him stop and then what does Paul do he shares the gospel with him and this man believes and trusts in Jesus he is baptized his entire family is baptized and he is also probably part of this church in Philippi that is receiving this letter from Paul years later Then we see that Paul is ridiculed and he is mocked and there are plots against him to take his life, that he is oftentimes taken by Jewish leaders to the councils of these cities for inciting riots within the city. And so at one point he's in Jerusalem and there's this um, riot that takes place because of Paul and so Paul's before the council and he's like, you know what, they're about to kill me. And so, what I'm going to do is, I'm a Roman citizen, so I'm going to appeal my uh, charges in Rome to Caesar. So, take me as a prisoner to Rome. And so, if you know this, it's just this is a crazy story. Um, Paul gets on a boat as a prisoner, and for two weeks, this boat is sailing in a storm, and they don't know where they're going. They don't know which way is north. They're just uh, two weeks just floating back and forth, getting hit by waves, pushed this way, hit by waves, pushed this way. Paul basically takes charge of this ship um, because they trust in the Lord that he is talking about. They end up crashing on an island, so they end up shipwrecked. He goes onto the island. The first thing that happens is he gets bitten by a snake, um, and then he's there on this island for three months. They find another boat. They get to Rome. He is welcomed in Rome with a two-year House arrest sentence while he awaits trial. This is Paul. This is this guy who's saying, have joy in all things. Be content. At what point would you have packed your bags and gone home? Probably after the stoning. I, I don't even think I would have got up. I would have just laid there and been like, take me, Lord. Like, I'm done. But Paul endured. Paul had resolved to continue on the mission that God had given him. Paul knew that his contentment was found in the strength of Christ, not in anything else. And you see, we live in a world of discontentment. We live in a world of bitterness. And I'm not just talking about the world, I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about us in this place. It's so easy for us to fall into discontentment. There are things in this life that we try to build up around ourselves to have satisfaction. Right? The the goal of people, it seems like, when you watch commercials and you read magazines and, and you just look at what this world is feeding us, this entire world is trying to build up their life based on contentment, based off comfort. And you might say, hey, it doesn't take much for me to be content. This is all I, I need a home. I need a safe home to live in, and, and it'd be nice to have a car, and probably a, a car for my spouse, and, and it'd be nice to have a savings account because you never know when something's going to happen. I just don't want to live paycheck to paycheck, and so I need a little bit of a savings, and that's really, I'd like to go on a vacation once a year with my family. Uh, that'd be nice, but, but I will find contentment, in Starbucks is really good. Starbucks, if I can get it like three, four times a week, I'll be all right but then I'll be content. It doesn't take much, right? No matter how much you can build around you, no matter how many material things you can add to your life, we're never going to be content without Jesus. And we can look at Paul's story, and we can say that is extreme, what he went through, that his circumstances are extreme, and I don't know how he could do it, but this is what we see time and time again in the New Testament with the apostles. We see Christians who are sold out, Christians who are enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel, oftentimes leading to their death as martyrs, and they did it with joy. So what is the secret? How is Paul able to have joy in all things? Well, our second point is this. The secret to contentment is union with Christ. It is our connection to Christ Jesus that we are able to have contentment. We are able to have peace. We are able to have joy. And it's only found in him. Charles Spurgeon has a quote where he says, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Christ is our reward. And to know him and to know his love, to know his grace compared to the rest of the world is unlike anything that this world could give you. And so until you know Christ and until you experience him, you're not going to be content. Nothing else is going to satisfy. And Paul was so connected with Christ. He was so in tune with his spirit that his joy was not determined by the circumstances of his life. Wouldn't it be great to not have our emotions dictated by what's going on around us? Wouldn't it be great to have our anxieties under control because our hope and our joy and our contentment is in Christ and in Christ alone? Wouldn't it be great to live the lives of the apostles? To live a life, to live is what is To, to live is Christ. To live as Christ, everything I do I'm going to do for the sake of Christ, and to die is what? It is gain. What do you do to somebody who's not even scared of death? <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to that person who is sitting there and saying, I'm going to preach Jesus, and if you kill me, guess what? I get to be with Jesus. Like So there it's a win-win. All right, what would it be like to be so sold out for Christ that we lived our lives in this kind of way? Let's move on to verse 14, so Paul says, thank you for this gift, although I don't need it because I am content in Christ alone, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul, again, is expressing this gratitude, this thanksgiving for these people and their partnership with him. Because what happened is they didn't only just send a gift, they weren't only saying like, you know what, Paul, we're praying for you, like we hope everything goes well, may God bless you. They are actually joining in his trouble, that they are coming alongside him with financial, with some skin in the game. They are coming alongside him with financial gifts to say, hey, Paul, we know that you are doing a good work for the gospel. And we want to come alongside you. We want to join in your trouble. You see, their gifts allowed Paul to continue sharing the gospel. It allowed Paul to continue on his missionary journeys. Right? These gifts were participating in the work of God. That They weren't just sitting back. that They were taking part with their gifts. And so our next point is that living generously fuels gospel movement. When we live generously, when we back kingdom-minded ministries, it is financial gifts, it is generosity that pushes those things forward. It fuels the work of God in this world. So we love reading the story about the apostles, don't we? We love hearing about Paul and Peter and John and James and Barnabas and, and how they healed many and how there were miracles that happened. And how they preached the gospel boldly and thousands of people came to Christ in one day and they were baptized and that's awesome. And they are the heroes of the story, right? Well, behind every single apostle is people who are supporting them and financially giving. They are providing for them places to stay. they are giving them food just like we talked about with Lydia. Behind every single person who is out on the mission field, there is somebody who is funding that mission this wasn't just for the apostles, but this was true for Jesus, that most of Jesus's ministry in this life was funded by three ladies. Did you know that? We see in Luke 8 that uh, there are these three ladies, Mary Magdalene, we've heard of her, right? But then there's this lady named Joanna and this lady named Susanna, okay? And so it says that Mary, Joanna, and Susanna They all uh, decided to uh, travel with Jesus and the disciples, and they decided to support him in his ministry from their own means. I don't know how these ladies were bankrolling, but they were. I don't know what they did to have all this cash flow, but they used that cash to support Jesus, and they traveled around with Jesus and the disciples to support him and to help in his ministry. They saw the good work that God was doing through Jesus. They saw the kingdom work that was going on and they decided to devote their lives and to give of their resources to see that move of God. This is what we call a gospel patron. A gospel patron is one who lives generously in hopes to see a movement of God. And so throughout history, there have been gospel patrons who have backed the ministry of Jesus. They have backed missionary journeys for Paul. There have been gospel patrons that have backed the, um, the abolishment of slavery in England. Right? There are gospel patrons behind our church today. Before this church even had a name, there were gospel patrons who decided and said, we're going to be generous and give of our finances. We already go to a church in another state. But we're going to be generous and give above and beyond to see God work in this area. You see, Alex, before I was even on this team, Alex went around to a bunch of individuals, a bunch of churches, and he said, Hey, Here's what God's called me to do. God's called me to move to the area of Northwest Surprise, Arizona, and he has called me to plant a church in that area. He called me to plant roots, and that is the place that my family is going to live. And I believe that God wants to see salvation, that there's going to be baptism, that there's going to be people's lives who go from dead to alive because God has called me into this place. And there's these people who said, yes, sign me up, I'll send a check. I don't live there. I will probably never join this church. I will probably never even visit this church, but you have my money because I believe that God is going to work and move and do that, and I want to be a part of it. And so you are sitting in this place today literally because of gospel patrons. You are sitting in this place because there were people who were generous enough to give their time and their money because they believe that God wanted to have an impact in your life. Because they believed that the gospel was important enough for there to be a, gospel pla- a place to worship and to teach and preach the gospel in Surprise, Arizona, Asante, Desert Oasis, whatever we're calling this little area that we're in. And what I believe is I believe that a week from now, a month from now, years from now, that there's going to be more people that come into this place and their life is forever changed. Their eternity is forever changed because some of you in here decide to be gospel patrons. Because some of you decide to live generously and to not hold on to what God has given to you, but to give it back to him and trust that he's going to use it for his glory and for his kingdom. And so, as we continue in verse 17, Paul says, again, not that I seek the gift. Paul, like, you don't have to, like, it's okay. You can accept the gift. <laughs> he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We see that generosity doesn't just benefit the recipient. The generosity doesn't just benefit Paul, but what does he say? He says, I'm excited because I seek the fruit that increases your credit. So apparently the Philippian church has this like line of credit with God, and he is saying that God is eventually going to bless you because you blessed me. Because you lived generously and you gave with what God had entrusted to you, you were going to receive a blessing in return. And I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you give, that God's going to give you all your desires and wildest needs and and, uh, every little thing that you want, the, the newest vehicle that you want. I'm not saying that if you give, God's going to bless you with those things, but he will bless you and he will supply your needs. And it says that he receives this generous gift as what a fragrant offering, pleasing and acceptable. Right, where do we hear this term fragrant offering before? We see it in the Old Testament. Right? We see it in the Old Testament where they would take the first fruits of what they had, that they would take um, the best of their best and they would lay it down before God. And it said time and time again that it was a fragrant offering, pleasing and acceptable to God. It would be a sacrifice that I'm not holding on to this for myself, but God, I'm giving it back to you. That's what it means. That's what it is like when we are generous and God will supply all of our needs. I know sometimes we can't let go of of our finances. We can't live generously with our finances because we're so fearful because we're already living paycheck to paycheck. That if I give more to the church or if I give more to Compassion International or World Vision or some uh, Christian organization, if I give to them, what that means is that I'm not gonna be able to pay for what I need to pay for. What does it say here? That God will supply every one of your needs. When we give to see the kingdom advance, we can believe that we're going to be taken care of. You know what the good news is? God's bank account does not run out of zeros at the end of the number, not at the beginning of the number. (laughs) God's bank account is immeasurable. It is endless. And you know what else? God's bank account isn't just financial. God will meet our needs spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally. When we give and when we are sold out for the gospel, when we are giving not only of our finances and our resources but of our time, God will supply every one of our needs. We, we, maybe you've heard this, uh, we've said it before, but, but we are called to live open-handed. So when we live open-handed, what are we able to do? We're able to give, right? We are giving because our hands are open. Take what we have. God has entrusted it to us, so we give it back to you. But what else can you do? You can receive. But when our hands are closed and we're holding on to what God has given us, and we're saying, God, I just can't let go of this because I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I just can't trust. My contentment is found in security and financial security. So you're not giving, but what else are you not doing? You're not receiving the blessing from the Lord. So when we live open-handed, there is a transactional thing where we give, and what happens? We are earned a credit on our account. When it comes to our finances, are you trusting and believing God? Are you trusting that He can move and He can use your finances and He can take care of your needs? Or are you fearful your needs aren't going to be met? God is pleased with our generosity, but he is also more than capable to provide for us. So we're going to move on to verse 20, and this is kind of the final conclusion. It says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, I want to stop there. I think, I think this kind of sums up Paul's life. To God be the glory. Right, God, or Paul lived every moment of his life trying to give God the glory at all costs. And I think that this is the reason that he had contentment. This is the reason that he had joy because he wasn't the focus. He wasn't the center of his life. Christ was. That his goal, even if he's in a prison cell, his goal is Christ and Christ magnified. And whenever he's beaten and whenever he is torn down and whenever he's falsely accused of starting these riots and he's thrown into jail for something that he didn't even do, what is his goal? Glory to God the Father. He's not the focus. To live is what? It's Christ. And to die is gained because you're with Christ. Verse 21. So greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I'm sure the Philippian church, maybe they didn't, but I I feel like the Philippian church was shocked by this statement. Right? Right? All the saints, especially the ones in Caesar's household. At this time, there's a guy named Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero would uh, dip Christians in tar, and uh, he would tie them to trees. He would, he would put honey on their feet and tie them to trees so wolves would come and eat their feet. He would put Christians in uh, the Colosseum and release lions and let them kill them. Like, Nero hated Christians. He hated Jesus because he believed that he was God. And what we see here is that there are saints in Caesar's household. I think what it's probably talking about is servants within Caesar's household. It's probably um, Roman imperial guards in Caesar's household. It's probably these guys who are chained to Paul day and night, who are sitting there making sure that he doesn't escape, making sure that he doesn't um, have somebody come in and, and take him out through a hole in the wall, right? It's probably these guys who are stuck with him day in and day out. And what is, what's Paul doing? He's sitting there talking about Jesus. Paul's not sitting in that prison cell. He's not sitting in that little house complaining, He's not sitting in that house angry with God because he didn't deserve what has happened to him. Paul is in imprisoned, and he is seeing Christ glorified. And there are Roman guards. There are Roman servants that are coming to know Christ. And I'm sure the Philippian church just got excited about that. I'm sure they were amazed by that. And they're saying, you know what? We're going to send another gift, uh, but we want Paul to stay there longer so that more Roman citizens are getting saved. (laughs) But he remained in union with Christ and he believed that God had him there for a reason. He believed that his one and only goal was to bring God glory. So what I want us to realize real quick is that the Roman Empire in this time where I said they hated Christians. They wanted to squash them like pesty bugs. And there begins to be this movement of God because Paul found contentment in Christ because Paul believed that he still had a mission even when the circumstances were bad. And there's this little movement of Christ in Caesar's household and what we're going to see is about 200 years after that, there is an explosion of the gospel, an explosion of Christian growth within the Roman Empire. That Christianity will become the official religion of Rome. right? And then we know that there are Christian forefathers that study the scriptures. We know that they are putting the Bible into text and they are exploding the gospel within Rome hundreds of years later, you know the Roman Empire, you know how big it got, you know how it spread, you know how they pushed their culture on other people, and the gospel became, became part of that culture. And so literally, the reason that we are sitting here today is because the gospel moved and worked through Rome. It is because the, the church of God was developed, and the forefathers of our faith were Roman citizens who loved Jesus and knew the gospel because of where they were, because of what Paul started, this movement of God that started in Rome, in this prison cell, blew up to what it is now. So when we look at this and we see that there are saints in the household of Caesar, that is a miracle. And it happened because Paul wasn't content in his circumstances, but he was content in Christ. God's provision is perfect. And Paul trusted that God had him there for a reason and that he remained faithful even when his situation was difficult, it was unfair. God's provision is perfect. And the Philippian church trusted and lived generously knowing that God was going to use their finances to grow his kingdom and to glorify him They lived generously believing that God would provide every single one of their needs and that the gospel would move. I pray as we wrap up this book, I pray that this would encourage us. I pray that we can look at Paul and we can say, man, I just need to have more resolve in my life. I need to have more union with Christ because I am tossed to and fro by this world and what circumstances I'm going through. So I just want to be content in Christ I just want to hold on to Christ and that whatever is going on around me, I'm not swayed because I have union with Jesus. And even if I'm taken up out of this world, I have union with Jesus. I pray that we are encouraged by the Philippians to live generously, to trust God with what we have, what he has given us that we would give back to him and that we would be hopeful and prayerful that he would use it for his kingdom. Hey, let's pray. Father, as we uh, look at this relationship between Paul and the Philippian church, I do ask that. I ask that we would be encouraged. We'd be encouraged to live like them. That We would be encouraged to, um, God, just participate in partnership with the gospel. Um, that we would trust that you are good in all circumstances. That you would truly be our, our, our prize, our, um, our treasure. That our joy would be found and trusting you, that we would trust you with our finances, that we would trust you with uh, with all of our lives, and Lord, I ask you, um, just I pray for the person who has not started this relationship with you. Yes, I thank you that you gave yourself up as a fragrant offering for us; that was pleasing to God so that we could be forgiven. And I pray that the person in this room now who who has not started in that relationship with you, um, that they would do that today. That everything else that this world has to offer is worth nothing in comparison to knowing you. I pray that that would be true for each and every one of us in this place. Lord, help us to take your word, help us not only to hear it, to read it, but that we would put it into action. Or that we would be generous, giving of ourselves, giving of what you have entrusted to us. That we would live in union with you each and every day, starting it out with you. And God, because of that, that we would have joy in all things. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.